Lunch with Pippa Hudson. And now, Consumer Talk featuring Wendy Nola. Just before I say hello to Wendy, we promised you feedback on those two motoring questions. Firstly, the car workshop body that Chiro was referring to was MIWA, M-I-W-A dot org dot Z-A, the Independent Workshop Association. So if you are wanting uh, the person who had that issue, it was uh, Matthew on the email uh, with your indicator stick, which then triggered some kind of airbag light fault. You have the option to report it to MIWA dot org dot Z-A. And the advice is if you are looking for a workshop, check their website to find out if it is MIWA accredited before you leave the, your car with them. And then the second thing, Nikki and others who were looking for that cars.coza licensing tool. It is quite difficult to find at the moment because it hasn't been fully launched to public yet, but you can find the link by doing the following. Go to the cars.coza website, tick, click on the news tab, then click on motoring news, and then go to the search bar and type in avoid license crisis. So cars.coza news, motoring news, Search for Avoid License Crisis and you will find the link to the article called Avoid the Incoming License Crisis. And if you scroll down that article to the paragraph entitled The Solution, you will find the link there. Still in soft launch phase, so it's a little bit tricky to find it. If you are driving and couldn't make note of all of that, you're welcome to send me an email to pippah at capetalk.co.za and I'll pass it on to you later today. With that, it is welcome, Wendy Nola. Sorry to eat into your time with more cars content, no but problem. always great to have you with us. Actually, quite good consumer content. That it is, too. It, so yeah. <laughs> very welcome. So we've got quite a mixed bag today. A few follow-ups from last week around spam and poppy and around e-waste collection. And then a really concerning issue around bank fraud because we are going to expose just how easy it was for fraudsters to raise raid standard bank accounts, having got hold of the owner's ID number, credit card and cell phone SIM. All three of those things typically sitting in your average handbag, Wendy. And all five of the victims that I know of so far have been Captonians. So okay. listen up if you listen carefully. Particularly if you're a standard bank um, okay. account holder. That's going to be very serious stuff. Let's let's dispense with some of the other follow-ups first, though, Wendy. We've had a couple of conversations on the show about spam marketing uh, from the perspective of estate agencies and online florists, or two of the more memorable ones. Yes. We thought we were going to see the back of it when Poppy came into effect on the 1st of July, the Protection of Personal Information. Act. Not all that much has changed, though. Well, it w- doesn't seem so, which is why we're going to get an export, expert on the line to, to put us right um, if, if we're wrong about this. But yes, in the run-up to July the 1st, when Poppy uh, became effective in full, I quoted an attorney as saying that while the implication of Poppy would not spell an end to all unsolicited, unsolicited marketing calls and emails, etc., um, and we'll get clarification hopefully on that in a bit. The so-called robocalls, the most annoying ones of all, where you answer your phone only to hear a recorded marketing message. I was told by that attorney that those would definitely be outlawed. I have received several since the 1st okay. of July, and as I know others have. So um, we need clarity on that. And then, as you say, just as discussed on last week's show, NetFlorist keeps sending people marketing emails no matter how many times uh, they're asked to unsubscribe on each email they're receiving. The problem, as the MD explained to us last week, is that they have two email platforms and multiple uh, mailing lists. So even if you click, you, you go onto the unsubscribe tab on the email you've just received and you go and it takes you through to a number of options, whatever which is, I don't want to receive any emails. Um, 
it doesn't help because you you have it unsubscribed on the other mailing list. It's taking you off one mailing list, but yes. there are about so nine or ten they're others. They're working yeah. on it. We're told there'll be a solution, uh, um, a, a, a one-stop solution by the end of next month. But you know, we should that be you know right now in August of 2021 is that acceptable? Mm. Um, and uh, we uh, should get some expert um, advice on that. I'm afraid our expert is not answering his phone, oh, Wendy. We've been trying for the last five minutes to get through to him, and he's not picking up. I don't know if you're able to summarize a little bit of what you discussed. I'm not. I sent him through our questions, no. and oh, how awful. Maybe your questions have scared him away. Oh, oh dear. Okay. I so wonder if oh, I cut and paste the phone number, so I'm pretty sure that's correct. Okay. Um, he is stepping out of a meeting now, my producer oh, tells me. I okay. See. Sorry. Okay. Uh, so hopefully he'll be with us in just a second. So what we're going to do is speak to uh, Professor Siswe Snail Kamtuze, who is an attorney and a cyber law specialist who happens to be a part-time member at the Information Regulator. And Wendy, just while we wait for him to, to walk away from his meeting, um, what's the role of the Information Regulator? Okay. So they just set up by the um, Department of Justice and they... Um, They've been set up to deal with complaints, to regulate. There's no point having all these things in place if if there's nowhere to go to complain. So we gave the address last week, mm-hmm. um, and we, we can repeat it. Um, well, we can get um, Prof to repeat it, hopefully, okay. when he comes through. Um, what I really wanted to hear from him, though, is uh, we've got him. We've got him on the okay. line now, so let me bring him in. Sorry, Wendy. It is a warm welcome to Professor Siswe Snail Kamtuze, who is an attorney and a cyber law specialist, a part-time member at the Information Regulator. Thank you so much for joining us. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you, Wendy? <laughs> I'm fine. Thanks, Prof. You were just speaking to uh, Pippa. Oh, oh, sorry. <laughs> no problem. Lovely to have you with You've us. Got both uh, of us. Both of us going to be right. firing questions at you if 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 that's all right. Um, Wendy, do you want to start? Okay, um, Prof, it's early days for the information regulator, and so far as Poppy is concerned, but can you tell us, sort of, six weeks in, what sort of complaints and queries the office has received, particularly from consumers, with regard to information protection? And are they valid or have some consumers got the wrong idea about what their new rights are when it comes to their personal information and what can and can't be done with it? Yes, um, I think the the majority of the complaints that have been coming through the regulator, primarily, most of them relate to direct marketing. In other words, you know, people contacting you, notwithstanding the fact that you've never given them your telephone number, um, as well as what we call data breaches. Uh In other words, those are not necessarily complaints, but those are notifications that responsible parties must do. Just for, for, the, for your listeners to understand, you and I are data subjects. A responsible party is the party that processes the data subject's personal information. So in, in, in the case of a data breach, like we, we, we had the well-publicized Experian one and the Liberty one, I'm, I'm just using them as examples. Mm-hmm, sure. um, there, there is a statutory obligation upon the responsible party in terms of Section 22 to notify the data subjects that indeed there was this breach, either as a result of negligence or the result of a criminal act, and such breaches need to be notified to the regulator. Then, obviously, you you get your other types of complaints um, relating to um, the further processing of your personal information, um, which is not compatible with the initial purpose that you gave it for. 
So this is your classical example. You walk into the bank, you apply for a bank loan, and by the time you get to your car, there's an insurance company, a subsidiary or related company. That's a very typical one. I get that a lot. Trying to sell you an insurance company. I mean, policy, sorry. And, and, you know, for for argument's sake, you did not tick the, the box saying, I opt in, you know, because that is what Tupia now requires, you know. If, if, if you are going to be sending these types of messages to, to um, consumers and data messages, it must either be a customer of yours, you know, that you've had and, and who has probably uh, previously consented, or the POPIA requires you to have one attempt to get that consent. Now, obviously, there, there then comes the big question as to <laughs> uh, how do you make that first contact? You know, but, but, but that I can't answer for you because those are subject matters of, of what the regulator will have to adjudicate upon. Okay. Thank you very much for, for that overview. Uh, Professor, the, the one thing we thought was going to come to an end were those terrible so-called robocalls where it's a recorded marketing message. You answer your phone and it says, hello, we, it's phone Are to you call drowning you. Oh, in yeah, debt? Whatever it is. Right. I absolutely hate them. I don't know anybody who doesn't mind receiving them. What's the deal with those uh, post poppy? Yeah, that's that's actually quite interesting because it it goes back to to section sixty nine. So section sixty nine, and and I hope I'm not going to bore your listeners with the the history. Section sixty nine, you before was in section fifty of the Electronic Communications Transactions Act. Oh. Um, in terms of that, you could opt out. In other words, I could spam you as much as I like. I could robocall you as much as I like up until such time where you say, please stop robocalling me, please stop spamming me. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and a similar regime is in the CPA, not the Criminal Procedure Act, but the Consumer Protection, Protection Act. Act. Mm. However, the POPIA now, Section 69, very, very important, talks about a opt-in. So we've, we've, we've had a paradigm shift from opt-out to opt-in. So you must ask me to opt-in to receive these messages, right? You, in other words, if I have not opted in, if you have not obtained my consent, then anyone who is sending you unsolicited mail, messages, telephone calls, uh, whatever electronic means, SMSs, would be breaking Section 69. And, and, and we as a regulator look forward to receiving these complaints from um, data subjects who are complaining with regards to the personal information where they have not opted in, um, but they are yet to receive. But just to go to robocall specifically. Now, (laughs) you see, robocall must get your numbers somewhere. And and, and I think that is is the the, the starting point of the discussion, right? Mm. Your, Your telephone number is unique to you. Hence, it is part of your personal information. If we if we do look at the definition of of mm-hmm. personal information in section one, your personal information includes your email, your telephone number, and so forth. As as ridiculous as it may sound, um, what we used to do as a courtesy or out of respect to call someone first and say, "Sorry, can I give your number to so and so?" That is now the law. <laughs> you you must ask to give the number. So going back to Robocall now, where does the service provider get these numbers? 
and, and, and that's where the, the issue becomes contentious. You know, I've heard horrific stories of data banks, um, you know, that store messages and, and uh, millions of people's personal information, right? Um, if you look at the Popia properly, right, data banks, as, as they would put it, would be illegal, yes. you know? People can't just be storing your personal information if they have no reason to do so, um, have no legal justification to do so. Uh, I mean, if, if you look at the Popia, I always say the Popia is not a prohibiting act. It is an enabling act. It enables us to respect personal information and to treat it in a different manner. I mean, I've, I always hear the Popia stops you from processing. That's not true. You, you may process if you have consent there too, mm. right? Or if it falls within the legally accepted grounds, such as a contractual situation. Um, let me make you uh, an, an example. You buy a vehicle, you put a tracking device in there, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously, the tracking company needs to process your personal information for contractual purposes. They need to process your registration number, your VIN number, um, whatever number they use to identify the gadget that's in your vehicle. So that would be a contractual situation, and their processing would be permissible, right? It is implied that you've consented because of the contractual situation there. Yes. Um, there's also instances where the law, and, and my emphasis is where the law requires processing, either by the, by the state or, or, or any other body created in terms of legislation. If there is a requirement there to process, and the law says it must happen, then it must happen. Obviously, it must happen within the framework of the POPIA, the, the eight conditions. Um, I know we haven't spoken about them yet. Uh, I, I hope there'll be some time to talk about them. But the, the eight conditions are basically the framework of POPIA, right? Mm -hmm. Accountability, um, process limitation, um, no further processing, um, the, the information quality must be retained, notification. For instance, you know, when you go to your favorite um, newspaper or, or, or media outlet on, on the Internet, there comes this, this thing from the left or from the top <laughs> asking you for cookies. Yes, right? except <laughs> so cookies. In, it, it, yes, so in terms of the notification principle, that's exactly what the cookie does. Uh. It notifies you that we at whatever station or whatever media house, we are about to collect personal information of yours, um, be it your IP address, be it your habits, be it what type of information you like to read, what region you are. But in order for, for this collection to take place, you must consent yes. to cookies. And you want to right. read the stuff free, so you say, okay, you say, accept okay, cookies. Exactly. And then we have um, the seventh condition. It talks about safety and security guards. So there is now a positive duty um, upon every responsible party. I think we've defined a responsible party already. Um, there's a positive duty upon you uh, to have safety and security guards in place relating to keeping the information confidential. Uh, so... so so the law now requires you to, to have appropriate technical and organizational measures in place. Gotcha. We're we approaching news headlines fast. I just want to get your right. input on two important issues that are sort of linked. 
The one sure. is um, whenever you ask someone that's calling you um, unsolicited and ask where you where did you get my my cell number from, they'll right. sprout some nonsense about the National Consumer Database, which doesn't actually exist or whatever. Hmm. So can exactly. can somebody who has such a response? complain to the information regulator and would you then have the power to force that company to divulge where they got that information from and the second part of my question was um, presumably I I shared the one case study with you but presumably it's absolutely not okay for you to give your cell phone number to uh, when you get a COVID test or when you um, register on the The um, EBDS Um, for that information, name and number combination to then be shared with any other party for the purposes of marketing or anything else? Yes. Uh, let me let me ask the first one, uh, the, the second one. If, if, like I said, if you gave your information for a specific purpose, right? Yes. Once that purpose has been concluded, you may not use the information or further process it or share it with anybody else. The, your, your right to process that information ends right there. If, if, if you, for argument's sake, put your telephone number and your name in the, in the COVID um, database for, for immunization, and some crooked employee there takes all those phone numbers and, sell, and gives them to his cousin Trevor, I always use my cousin Trevor <laughs> as an example. <laughs> he actually doesn't exist, but he gives them to his cousin Trevor who is an insurance broker. I mean, that would be in complete violation well, yes. of, of the papier. So it happened to a listener who, who's, who then got a marketing call from a personal loan company. So with that should be a rep- classic case that should be reported to you, right? Classic case that should be reported. And the, the email address uh, for your listeners, and, and I'm going to try and be slow so that they can hear me, it is inforeg, in other words, I-N-F-O, R-E-G at justice.gov.za. I would also encourage your listeners to go on the website of the information regulator. There's another email address. I think it's called complaints. I just don't know the full email address. We used it last week. Okay. We have to leave it there because of time constraints. Professor, thank you so much. You've been incredibly so helpful in, in spelling things out so clearly for us. Professor Siswe Snail Kamtuze is an attorney and cyber law specialist who is a part-time member. So before we take Norman's call, um, if you are wanting to complain to the information regulator, Siswe did give us that first email address, inforeg at justice.gov.za. The other slightly more complicated one is Popia Complaints, P-O-P-I-A Complaints, dot I-R at justice.gov.za. Popia Complaints, dot I-R at justice.gov.za. By far the easier one is inforeg at justice.gov.za. And Wendy, thanks. Really, I love the way he methodically talked us through what is and isn't allowed and can and can't happen. Absolutely. And I think I'm definitely going to invite him back in a few months. Yeah. um, for an update. Uh, for an update. Um, yeah, it's only, it's only been six weeks, but um, I've, I really wanted to give listeners a sense of, of what they're there for and what kinds of things they they sh- can and really should complain about because he, mm. he sounded very hungry for these complaints. For the complaints, so yeah, and very affronted these, by, by the case study yeah. that we, we shared with him of the EBDS one. Uh, Norman, in Somerset West, you've been very patiently holding the line to speak to us. Thanks for your call. Good afternoon. Hi, Pippa and Wendy. Picking up from your guest's 
comment about having a contractual relationship and that contract allows you to make use of the personal information of the data owner. Is it legal for a mobile phone company to hand off your contact details to a third party organization which then contacts you and says, I'm speaking to you on behalf of MTN, sells you a change to your package, which turns out to be completely the wrong thing to do because it puts you at a disadvantage compared to where you were. You then contact MTN and say, I want this reversed because of misrepresentation by the call center agent. And you get told, no, no, well, you need to talk to that third Ah, party in order to get this process reversed. It took me three weeks of telephone calls and threats for it to eventually get unwound. Is it legal, Wendy? Okay, there's two parts to that. If um, they are their third-party suppliers, then no, because it's part of the same contractual arrangement. But but then um, they have to take responsibility for their third party. So I've taken up many, many, many of these Mm. cases, which is why I would Mm. never take out a cell phone contract over the phone. and I actually did. I did one for research purposes, and I was it was I was misled in horrible ways. Oh, wow. And um, I then went into the store, got it cancelled because you do have seven days, um, five working Indeed. days to cancel something yeah. that you've agreed to over the phone. But so so that's the point. Um, I'm, if you hadn't already sorted that out, I would have done it quick sticks and said let's let's call, get that call recording, um, and that would have sorted it out straight away. But it is shocking that. Um, if you're not Wendy Nola, and you, in many cases, if you try and or any other consumer journalist, and you then try and get that call recording for yourself, it can take you um, many weeks, if at all, until you finally seek help. Um, what's, what hits me in the face is they're wrong either way, because Wendy, if it is a genuine third-party supplier, as you say, they are obliged to, to, to follow up. If and it's if not, not a genuine third-party illegal. supplier, they've illegally passed on your details, Norman. They insisted on me talking to the third party no, no, company no, in no. order to get it reversed. And I refused point blank. I said, I have no contractual relationship with that company. Exactly. I had a call from that company. Somebody insisted. I said, I don't want to speak to you. I will only speak oh. to MTN. They fixed it after three and a half weeks of telephone calls. Three and they didn't and contact me to say we fixed it. Okay. It just suddenly, That's my shocking. wife's contract suddenly changed back to where it was. My final question, and I know you're busy. At what point does some kind of concerted action get taken particularly for a cell phone company like this, and I'll name them, it was MTN. At what point does some kind of concerted action get taken to bring an organization like that to heal with matters of this order? I can't be the sole person, Wendy. No, no, you're not. You are not, But I really would appreciate it, Norman, if you could document that experience and specifically being told when and how you were told that and by whom, um, on which number or whatever, Mm -hmm. that you should uh, go to the third party agent rather than them dealing with it um, because I want to take that up and I need an example, I need a case study to do it. And the the two bodies that, that cover the um, business dealings of, of uh, cell phone networks are um, ICASA on the one hand and um, the Consumer Goods and Services um, Ombudsman on the other. So the one would be more around um, uh, technical issues, um, but they do, they are quite proactive in dealing with all sorts of complaints. And then okay. the CPA would be, I mean, the Consumer Goods and Services Ombud would be around uh, certain contractual issues that the CPA covers. Okay, so Norman, if you could please pop it all into an email to Wendy. The address is consumer 
at nola.co.za, spelled K-N-O-W-L-E-R, and put in the subject line, Cape Talk MTN third party. She'll keep her eye open for that if you could just clearly delineate uh, the details of your experience so that Wendy has a case study to take to them. Uh, She'd be very happy to follow up. Uh, Thank you so much for the call. We're going to take a very short break and then come back with a very important banking fraud story that if particularly if you are a customer of Standard Bank, really important to keep listening because your information uh, could be the keyhole into your account uh, if things go wrong for you. We'll explain more after this. The Midday Report with Mandy Wiener. Weekdays, 12 p.m. to 1 p.m. We still don't know the motive for the shooting and we do have to put that disclaimer. How worried are you as the foundation about that and what needs to change to ensure that whistleblowers do come forward because they are so crucial in the fight against corruption? In the intention around this was to not only silence her but many others like her. If society is silent about Babita and the other killings that we've seen in the last few years, if we don't raise our voice, then I think many will throw in the towel. Nishan Baltanik. The Midday Report. With Mandy Wiener. Weekdays. 12 p.m. to 1 p.m. Only on Cape Talk. Join the conversation. The Midday Report. Brought to you by Momentum Corporate. Transform your employees into strategic enablers of business success. Momentum Metropolitan is an authorized FSP. Breast cancer is the most common cancer in women of all races and age groups. Not only does breast cancer affect women, it affects men too. One of the biggest breast cancer awareness events in South Africa, Playing for Pink, is hosting its fifth annual event in Johannesburg on 30 October. The campaign in collaboration with Reach for Recovery seeks to raise awareness and funds for breast cancer patients and survivors. Join the fight and help raise awareness by visiting playingforpink.co.za. Can I? Can I get insurance tailored to my needs? With Absa iDirect, I can. I get personalized service that's committed to giving me the best deal. My premiums are guaranteed for 12 months and I get cash back after three claim-free years. Plus, my excess is limited to just 3,000 rand. Get EBSA iDirect to cover your vehicle, house contents and buildings today. Apply at absa.co.za. We do more so you can. That's Africanacity. EBSA iDirect is a product of EBSA Insurance Company, an authorized FSP. T's and C's apply. Cape Talk. Consumer Talk. Call now on 021-446-0567. Okay, um, back to a, a really serious case that has the potential to lose people thousands and hundreds of thousands of rand. Wendy, most banks we know deny all liability for their clients' losses to banking fraud if the crime was committed using their PIN number, their personal identification yes, number. they're always telling you no one has it except you. mustn't you. share it, we will never ask you yeah. for it, etc. But... What if it was the bank's own self-service channel that read out the pin to the fraudster and we are not making this up? No, unfortunately we're not. It's been happening to several Standard Bank clients this year. I know of five, all Cape Tonians. Okay. Um, And uh, they all had their ID numbers, not the card or the book, just the number, the credit card and their cell phone stolen. Now, I don't know about you, but I have those three things on in me. my handbag yes. all the time. And yeah. when do you leave your car um, without taking those things with you? Not when you go to a mall, when you go and exercise. So these Cape Tonians have had it when they've parked at Tokai Forest and gone for a, um, a, run. A, a, a run or a walk. Newlands Forest, 
uh, surfing spot, that kind of thing. Okay. Come back, cars being broken into. In some cases, so subtly they didn't ne- immediately notice because the criminals want time to, 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 to spend away. With, yeah. So, um, uh, shall we speak we've, to Grant? We've got one yes. of them on the line yes. with us. So let's start there right now. One of the victims uh, of this kind of fraud was Grant Warren. And Grant is with us on the line. Grant, thank you so much for making time to join us and, and share your story uh, today. Good afternoon. A pleasure. Hi, Pippa. Hi, Wendy. Hi, Grant. So this was in June um, earlier this year. You were going for a yes. surf at Melkbos Strand. Tell us what happened. Yes, near Melkbos. So we, a friend of mine and I got out of the car. Um, just we, he, He's got a, a Nissan X-Trail, so it's got a series of drawers under the, the back um, yes. shelf. So we thought we were pretty secure, um, You know, put all our stuff in the drawers, went and hopped in the water. Three hours later, came out all exhausted. And... Uh, to discover that all of our, our valuables were gone out of the drawers. Um, and they basically put a screwdriver into the driver's door. So it was the first lesson was that if you have an older car where your alarm system is a factory-fitted model, um, it often operates off the, the driver's door. So they stuck a screwdriver in, jimmied the door, and then climbed through, got all our stuff out. Sure. Um, and then, you know, we, we kind of fluffed around a bit and looked in bins and thought, you know, nothing much. And when I finally canceled my cards, um, I was told that um, they'd taken uh, almost 19,000 Rand out of my account. Oy. But, but, you know, and, and the, the sort of red flag for me was that they'd actually transferred money from my current account and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So to cut a long story short, um, I, I waited for a while, then, you know, obviously uh, went into the branch and said, I heard nothing from the bank and said, look, you know, what's happened? Um, because it was a, I assumed that I had sort of made a claim, a tacit claim against, you know, was I going to be refunded this money? Um, not knowing, you know, anyway. Um, and I was told by the fraud department who they phoned that I had supplied the criminals with my card and with my PIN number. As one does. Um, <laughs> one of which was incorrect because the criminals had stolen my card. And the other was a, was a lie um, because their call center would have known that a call was made and that my PIN number was given to, to the criminals. So, so a bank that I've been banking with since 1984 is now lying to me to protect themselves. So they'd repudiated any claim that I might have had. Um, and so essentially then the process, you know, you've got to go through all the red tape and the process is to complain. So then I complained, and um, uh, the, the, the result of the complaint was that the Standard Bank offered me 50% of uh, my money back, um, but stressed that they had had no wrongdoing. But in the meanwhile, I discovered that the criminals had just phoned the Standard Bank call center and got my, my number. And this was through another victim who said, check your cell phone records. Who I've spoken to. Was um, that your hun? Yes, exactly. And... And he and I and Vodacom said to me, yes, the criminals changed. They they took your SIM card out and they put it into a MobiCell R7 LTE Cheap phone, thousand, thousand rand phone where yep. you don't need any security protocols. Exactly. And basically then phoned the call center, provided the, the number, all the information that you've already uh, spoken about. Um, and then an automated message reads the, the number to them. So... Um, so so, so sorry, just to be absolutely clear that our listeners understand, the thieves phoned your bank and using the information that they'd retrieved from the you, things they'd stolen were able to yeah. get yeah, the you, bank to read out your PIN number. You can either speak to a human 
Or you can opt for self-service where it's automatically read out. So you have to key in your ID number. Yeah. They have to key in the credit card number um, and the three digits on the back. So they have to have the card in the hand. And um, then they send you a um, one-time pin to your phone. They confirm the, the, the yeah. So, But if they've put the SIM into another device, they get that. Mm. There's no questions about any other, uh, no, any, there's no other authentication. The only, they call it two-step authentication. Yeah. The, the second step being they've got to send you a one-time pin. But I mean, if the force has got those yeah. three things that I have sitting in my handbag right yeah. now, your call, you did a video, all the victims, up, or three of the victims I've spoken to, yeah. videoed themselves doing this process. And you, in your case, it was yeah. under four minutes, right, Grant? Yeah. yeah four and, minutes. And I mean, I've, uh, I, just, I just find it ridiculous that um, in the first place, I've banked with them since 1984. I've never forgotten my PIN code. So suddenly now you've got a client, a long-standing client, who's changing their pattern of behavior. So to me, that's an orange flag. It should be. Okay, this person has forgotten their PIN code. Then suddenly there's a there's an uh, anomalous pattern of expenditure where money's been drawn. So they drew my daily withdrawal limit, and then they went to Bet Exchange, which is a betting company from which obviously they can extract money somehow. Same with the other I'm two. Not, mm. Yeah. So you know, and the other way apparently is with talk time. They they managed to somehow buy talk time. I've heard of that as well. So. It's you know there's obviously they use these mechanisms to extract cash from a system without without being able to be traced. So um, you know and, and to me then the the bank should put up an orange flag to say hang on this person's asked for their pin they never have before and then expenditure immediately occurs, which is what makes you know all these fraudulent calls. I've had about five calls from people purporting to be from the Standard Bank fraud division who are so convincing because they care about your account and there's many, there's strange transactions on your account hmm. we from the fraud division. That's the other fraud. Yeah. So that's just what you expect from your bank, not just this absolute blanked out nothingness. And then when you actually try and speak to them about it, they accuse you um, of, of having colluded with criminals. Mm. So, you know, the, the, the final thing that they said to me was that the bank determines that they've done nothing wrong and that, uh, the the pin code was, or the, the the money was stolen by people unknown to you and the bank, or was either stolen by you or people unknown to you and the bank. And the pin um, number, the pin pin issue just left hanging. Yeah. I just wanted to to commend you, Grant, and and um, one of the other victims, Gabby Roth. They were offered um, uh, Roth rather. They mm-hmm. were offered fifty percent, as as Grant said, and on condition of non-disclosure. And they've said, no, we'll forego that because we need to warn other people that it's happening. So, Grant, yeah. thank you for being willing to do that. And listening into that call was the ombud uh, uh, full, uh, at the ombudsman for banking services, who's going to just give us a view on what's happening here. But Grant, again, thank you very much for taking the hit yourself in order to go public and spare other people. I hope that maybe there might be further action to get Grant proper restitution. Listening into that call was. Was Rihanna Stain uh, at the Ombudsman for Banking Services. We've asked her to join us today to talk about uh, this, the two-step authentication process and, and how it's possible um, for, for, for this to happen. Before we go to Rihanna, maybe, Wendy, I know you did reach out to Standard Bank uh, to get their response on what Grant detailed to you. What did they say to you? Okay, um, so let me find my notes. They said that, that, first of all, pins are not stored by the bank. Rather, and I'm quoting from my response, pin retrieval is obtained via a secure algorithm. <laughs> Not very secure, okay. is it? 
Exactly. Asked why I didn't take any responsibility for the losses in question. Given the circumstances, the bank said the outcome of each case will always be determined on its own merits. They refer to that two-factor authentication process, the one I -hmm. I just described requiring that one-time pin before the the client's pin is revealed. They described that as strong. Asked why the self-service pin retrieval did not include detailed security questions or voice recognition. I think all banks should be really strongly getting there and a lot of clients don't want to do it but if you ever ask to please do it and the answer was due to the impact of COVID-19 we've looked at ways for our clients to conveniently obtain their pins without having to go into a branch very convenient for the forces too though unfortunately we have created this capacity on the mobile banking act but the interactive voice response action that's what that reading out is actually called interactive voice response IVR is available to clients who don't have smartphones or access to the mobile banking app well I dare say as grant argued if you have um, a credit card it's very unlikely that you don't have access to a smartphone um, so yes it is possible says Standard Bank to call the bank and obtain the victim's PIN number if the victim's credit card cell phone SIM and ID number are collectively stolen however the risk is mitigated if a customer has enabled a SIM or phone lock functionality well the forces are wise to that if you put the the um, take the SIM out and put it into a very cheap cell phone and obviously it's open doesn't sesame. have that functionality no, yeah. there's no wall no, no uh, protection wall there Okay, thanks for for that. So that's the the feedback from Standard Bank on Grant's case. Rihanna Stain, let me bring you in at this point from the the banking ombud. Thank you so much for joining us and welcome to the show. Good afternoon. Rihanna, um, listening to that that feedback from the bank about the two-step authentication process being secure enough, do you agree? Is it secure enough? Well, I can imagine that they maybe thought it was um, when they devised this um, you know, to assist consumers, as they say, in COVID times. But, uh, I mean, our experience shows it's not secure. Um, so I think after the first complaint like this, you know, the first time this happened, a red flag should have gone up that, um, you know, whatever they thought of, it's actually not working. Because if you just sit down and think about it for one minute, like Wendy said earlier, um, if a woman's handbag is stolen, those items are all together. So it's something they missed. Um, and I think it's obviously something that can be fixed with additional security. Um, so what's happening now uh, is, is just not good enough. Um, we've seen in our office a few complaints that is currently still open. Um, so it's brand new. These matters are coming through now. I don't know, maybe the fraudsters are only picking it up now and they're trying to go and steal cell phones and, and wallets so that they can do this. Um, but I do think that the bank has now been alerted to to the problem. And um, I, I'm, I'm hoping that they will react Rihanna Stone, thank you very much. Uh, speaking there uh, from the Ombudsman for Banking Services Office. So that's pretty clear cut, Wendy. It's yes. not good enough. They need to fix it. The big question is, is it only Standard Bank or are other banks also making use of so this, this process? In the dying minutes, yes, the other banks um, also, uh, well, some of them do, some of them don't. But I think suffice to, to say that none of them um, allow this so easily. So, well, Nedbank doesn't offer it at all. Um, the only way to retrieve your, your PIN is via the money app or visiting a branch, both of which require authentication. Authentication, I keep saying that word wrong. Um, Capitec doesn't offer it either. A person can only reset their card PIN at an ATM. Um, I won't go into the detail there. Absit does have it, but um, 
they have different levels of uh, security. So um, a third party can't retrieve their card PIN without the customer approving it through the mobile banking app. And if the fraudsters can't get into the banking app, which obviously they can't, otherwise they wouldn't be taking the SIM out and doing it this way. Um, In any event, if they somehow do manage to do it, um, APSA provides its mobile banking app users with um, a complete uh, digital uh, warranty. So whatever fraud losses you incur, they they pay back 100%. That's a huge marketing bonus, Wendy. And uh, they do it's it. Huge. because uh, And I've seen the complaints about apps of fraud. Have they just fallen off a cliff? I don't get them anymore. You don't get them anymore. And I used to get wow. loads. It's for okay. that reason, they took a business decision and they just absorb it while trying to educate their clients and And tighten else. up the security levels, yes, et cetera. But that's, obviously. okay, that's a real standard And then example. F&B yeah. was quite vague. They said um, customers can log on to their F&B app or online banking to retrieve their PIN. If they are unable to access digital ch- channels, we assist them via an alternative process which requires multi-layered. So that suggests more than two authentication. Um, and they, we're, not, we're not going to reveal what our security measures are due to confidentiality. So it, I think it's fair to summarize that by saying that Standard Banks has, has um, inadvertently created the most easy way for a fraudster to um, get um, one, their victim's PIN and then um, into their account and, and spend away, merrily transfer, do whatever they want. Okay, and I guess the lesson here, Wendy, once again, is if you are the subject of a hit, you know, a handbag grab or your wallet is stolen from your car, etc. You need to be phoning your bank immediately. The problem is these people have gone out on runs and walks and surfs. Yeah, so, so they're gone the for long they periods. Back, yeah. they've already, and, and yeah, we keep these. So I don't, I don't know how you don't keep those three things together. And um, Standard Bank says guard them, put a, a SIM lock on. Well, it, it appears to me that um, from from these cases that um, they, they bypass that by putting these the SIM card into Go- a different it's a phone. particular mm-hmm. phone I Google did you can get them from Edgar's etc for a thousand rand so okay five cases in Cape Town and you heard where the hotspots were it's where people are going out where people surfing, surfing walking, walking hiking walking forests, dogs they know beaches. you're going to be gone for a long time it's going to allow them to retrieve the items and get busy spending on so your maybe account. just leave all that stuff at home don't take doing it with that. you at all or just take enough coins to tip your car guard yes. at the end of the walk but leave the whole wallet behind at home mm. uh, take so the driver's license and a few coins yeah, yeah. okay yeah. very very sobering warning but Wendy thank you so much for flagging it and Grant in particular uh, thank you and Grant it was Gabby as well the other the other customer Gabby who Ralph, said yeah. I won't take the 50% refund I'm rather going to make sure that we warn other people that this is happening yeah. and uh, thank you very much I would really do hope that the Ombud might be able to, to pursue sure and will. get some, some restitution for them Wendy we'll keep you posted on that uh, that is uh, all we've got time for today the e-waste will hold over till next week to give you that feedback and uh, thanks as always Wendy Nola